0: Hi, and welcome to TouchLab Share, a podcast about common code sharing with Kotlin Multiplatform. Let's see what's in store for today. You're about to listen to a recording of TouchLab Kotlin Multiplatform Mobile and iOS engineer Ben walk through a tutorial he developed for iOS developers looking to get started quickly and efficiently with Kotlin Multiplatform Mobile. After the tutorial walkthrough, he shares tips for how to convince your iOS developers on your team to potentially pilot Kotlin Multiplatform Mobile. We then open up the session to questions from the audience of iOS developers that are interested in the framework, but wondering about how certain components of iOS development match up with Kotlin Multiplatform Mobile. We hope you enjoy this session. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: So who should uh, read this? Um, A little bit of information about Kevin and I, I'm going to kind of gloss over that and get to uh, the part that's really targeted like for iOS devs more um, since that's sort of who I'm talking to. And that's the iOS dev tutorial. We'll get more into the uh, convincing iOS devs and that stuff later on. Um, But basically the purpose of this whole part of the kit is to introduce iOS developers to how to navigate a uh, Kotlin multi-platform project. Um, There's a couple of like specific things that we kind of decided not to do with this because there's a lot of other good content out there. That does that already. So for instance, this isn't an introduction to the Kotlin language uh, for a Swift developer. Um, It's not an overview of all the similarities between Kotlin and Swift. There's a lot of that stuff out there already. Um, And another thing that we kind of left out, even though it's extremely important is Gradle because it's just a big deep topic. It's sort of something that is easier at least as an iOS developer came to camp it was easier for me to learn in like a hands-on way. It's a difficult thing to kind of conceptually describe to people. Um, and it's not really strictly speaking necessary um, for like your first foray for getting started if you're an iOS developer uh, in KMP. Um We're gonna use uh, CampKit as an example um, in our tutorial here uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, the first one being that it's designed to just run out of the gate. Um, We specifically made it that way. Um, You'll be able to run any iOS developer will be able to run it from Xcode immediately. And if they've played around with Android in the past and they have Android Studio installed, they have an Android emulator installed, they'll be able to run it on Android also, like right out of the gate. Um, And that's getting Android Studio installed and the emulator installed running it. That's really the bulk of part one. And the reason that we divided it up into uh, two different parts like that is because I think a lot of people just kind of like to get something running and then they can play with it and, you know, break it, um, put it back together again, uh, do whatever changes they want. And then there's always part two that they can come back to and read if they want and get like a little bit of a more in-depth, uh, explanation on like some of the concepts around camping, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, another reason to use CampKit is that it has some organizational architectural opinions built into it that we already agree with. That's um, why we built it that way. Um, and having said that though, we understand like especially if you're already working on an existing project um, these opinions might not be in place yet, but it's sort of still a good introduction. It's kind of meant to be readable and easy to digest. Um, So we don't really spend much time running the iOS side. You're an iOS developer should be able to do that already. Um, And so then we went on to part two, which like I said, kind of gets more into the uh, structure of the project. Um, At this point, you should after getting through part one, you should be running on at least iOS, and if you're interested, also Android. We also make it clear that you don't have to run it on Android, um, you can be building your Kotlin library and running on iOS, and maybe that's all you want to do. Um, maybe you have no interest in Android whatsoever, um, and you just want to use a shared Kotlin library, consume a shared Kotlin library. Um, another big focus of part two is just sort of Explaining Android Studio, um, directing uh, your attention. It's like a whole new IDE, right? There's a lot of tools. It's a big, complicated new thing. And so you kind of want to learn to filter out what you don't need to know for your first time in there. So we point your attention to exactly where you need to look. Um, and Probably, in my opinion, the most important thing that we go over in part two is some of the tooling uh, that we've done at Touchlab to make this experience better for iOS devs. A really good example is our fork of uh, Kotlin Cocoa Pods. Um, And probably the best example, the thing that's the most helpful, is uh, our Kotlin debugger uh, Xcode plugin. So you can actually set breakpoints and get some color highlighting in Kotlin files that are recognized as source files by Xcode. Um, Last two things we go over, we point to you to campkits docs. There's a lot more information in there. Um, These other tools we point to, they also are self-documented. They have more detail and information. And finally, it's kind of a segue into some, like the questions that you guys might have. We describe like some of the limitations on the iOS side. Um, which are there and we're open to discussing them with you guys. So yeah, uh, Eric.
0: Yeah, perfect. Uh, thanks Ben. Um, and and I forgot to mention, um, we're gonna be sending this um, later today. Um, so you, you'll have the opportunity to kind of, you know, l- look at everything that kind of Ben has put together and, and the approach that, um, that we're recommending if you're an iOS developer kind of getting started. Um, so we'll be sending that shortly. Um, Again, if there's any questions um, that you may have so far on on what Ben just walked through, please drop them into um, into the comment section. Um, And and now we'll kind of uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the the questions that we've received already and just kind of open it up for discussion. Um, One of the parts of the kit that we're really excited about is um, our advice that we're giving to clients that we work with on how to approach uh, speaking to iOS developers Around um, KMP and, and how to, you know, different pieces of, of um, advice that we give on how to get that part of the, the engineering organization involved. So um, the first question I kind of have to, to our team um, is what what advice are we giving to orgs? And this is a question to Kevin to maybe start off with. What advice are we giving to orgs on how they should um, be bringing in the iOS uh, portion of the team and speaking to them and kind of getting them uh, familiar with the technology?
2: Um, you know, it kind of starts with, um, taking a step back and and, and thinking about, especially if we're talking to the engineers in particular, but in in general, um, to, to as an engineer, right? Like if I'm, if I'm an Android engineer or if I, if I do react or if I do whatever, like, uh, having someone else come in and say, Hey, like, we got this other thing. That's great. That we're going to do this. And we're going to take stuff away from from what you need to do is like, is generally not well received. Uh, Developers tend to be very experienced in their thing, identify with their things quite a bit. Um, This is true of people in general, right? So it's having some empathy for for how you would react in a similar situation. Um, Generally advise finding folks who are curious about the technology to uh, be involved in the pilot, especially in this particular case of doing native mobile. any production system with native mobile is complex. So adding something to that is going to be difficult. And an Android developer probably doesn't do a lot of iOS stuff trying to do something inside of a production iOS uh, environment is gonna be difficult at best. And also again, not necessarily received well, unless you have cooperation of the evaluation from the team. So it's getting them on board. Um, but it's also keeping in mind that um, as Jesse Wilson it's, it gives uh, developers superpowers to be able to contribute to the to other parts of the code base. And, and it's not just an Android developer contributing to the iOS. Uh, it goes both ways. And um, that's part of why we have the Xcode plugin, because we don't want to say, hey, uh, not only are you, there's a whole new technology thing, we have to install all these tools you don't know anything about. And, and it's all going it to feel very Android-y. Right? The Xcode plugin exists so you can start touching the code without having to do you 're really not super excited about um, and it's just a bunch of little stuff like that but essentially get people on board to start thinking about themselves more as mobile developers on an individual level uh, for a career advancement you know assuming K gets to be a big deal uh, being an iOS focused developer who's got uh, experience in this world is going to help their careers individually immensely over the next you know five plus years whatever the time scale is um, and also, I, I catch myself saying this, you try not to say iOS developer or Android developer. Try to focus on becoming mobile developers. And even some of, one of our clients uh, did a great thing, like the first time you contribute um, shared code, they, they give you some kind of a gift, like a mug or something, you know, like you know, little things. Well, pre-pandemic, guess so you have to ship the mug now. But. Uh, you know, stuff like that. It's don't just shove in there and be like, hey, here's this thing. Because an iOS developer is gonna feel very like, wow, there's this Android thing that you're making me like do now and I don't like this at all. So part of that is also recognize when you get feedback. Some of it is, I don't like this. This isn't great. This isn't gonna be ideal. And, and then and some of it's very reasonable and there's certainly or it's not perfect, um, but some folks are just super not excited. And you have to recognize that in some of those contexts, um, the goalposts may be moved continuously. Like you solve a problem, and then there's just another problem. There's always going to be something that's not perfect. So you have to, you have to know where you're at. And sometimes it's not a winnable debate. Maybe take a different approach.
0: And I want to go back to something you said. Um, just quickly, can you give the folks on the on the on the Zoom and that are going to be watching this, just, just a quick synopsis on what the Xcode plugin does, um, just so everyone's aware, and because I, I definitely want to highlight um, that option, that tool, um, to, to everyone that's kind of considering, just, just kind of give us an overview of what, what it is and, and, and where it's at today. Um,
2: so it is, essentially it does two things, and, it, and we call it a plugin, but that is, I don't know if it's an entirely appropriate term for it because uh, Apple shut down plugins for the, the Xcode ecosystem, um, but they shut down plugins that are like active. So you can't edit code, I mean you can't like instrument code, that's where the problem came. Um, what this plugin does is it tells Xcode that Kotlin is a source file, it provides for source coloring so that not just a bunch of you know white text, um, it is you know so you can see Kotlin uh, keywords and all that and allows you to put uh, breakpoints and, and do visual debugging in Kotlin code. Uh, we very intentionally stopped there um, because this isn't intended to be uh, the best editing experience possible for Kotlin. JetBrains builds tools uh, for that kind of stuff. So it's like leave the uh, experts do those things. This is intended to be um, it, as an engineer. you're used to Xcode and this Kotlin stuff is suddenly put in here uh, rather than having to go off for you know weeks uh, on end to to learn this whole new language just to install a bunch of tools it is to start as a read mostly get familiar with Kotlin because you can step through the code debug it and see it Um, and it's very similar syntax to Swift so it, it should be immediately recognizable and lightly editable if you want to move beyond that point best to install the, the JV tools and, and get to work there. Uh, ben just has gone through the updating the install scripts, uh, which, you know, they, Apple doesn't make it super easy to, uh,
1: to add this kind of stuff to Xcode. Yeah. <laughs> ben, any thoughts on, on that? Well, it should be easier again uh, with the next big update to Xcode. That's the uh, good news, right?
0: So um, that, that tool and, and some of the other R&D that we've done around the topic of Kotlin uh, Multiplatform and iOS um, is actually the third part of the kit. There's a running list there that will, as I said, continue to update um, that has um, links, and links in particular to, to the Xcode plugin. So if you're interested in that, that sounds like it'd be valuable, you'll be able to find that information in the kit. Um, all right, wanna, wanna switch a little bit and kind of focus on Ben's experience here. Um, you, you have an iOS background, you're you're now working a lot in Kotlin multi-platform. Can you just walk us through the journey? Um, what have you learned? What were some of the biggest opti- uh, obstacles? Um, what you know? What makes you excited about uh, the work that you're doing now? Just kind of give us your perspective as a, as an iOS developer that is now really a mobile developer.
1: Yeah. So I would say I did start off as an iOS developer who was like enthusiastic or definitely at the very least, like very open to exploring all this stuff. Um, There's a couple reasons for that. I mean, some are selfish, some aren't, you know, like Kevin's right. Like there is like, there are major career advantages to it. I mean, for one, you, I have come away learning a lot about the Android environment. Um, So there's that, but then there's also the advantage of just sort of being early into something, being an early adopter of something um, that is set to grow, right? Like specialization is really how you get ahead. So those are like the selfish reasons for it. Um, The unselfish reasons, what was kind of cool about it was just starting off with like feeling like I already had a foot in the door with Kotlin. Like Kevin said, like it is readable, like pretty much from day one um if you're a swift developer i actually kind of joked i realized this much later on that it had been a while since i'd played with objective c when i started looking at kotlin and the first time i was looking at kotlin i was like oh this is like pretty easy to read already when i went back to objective c that like took longer for me to kind of adapt to which is you know like not usually considered like the prettiest language um but I would say the biggest learning curve has been the IDE, which uh, like Kevin just sort of pointed out, we've made it optional basically with the Xcode plugin. Um, but it is a big new environment. Um, it's very powerful. There's a lot uh, to learn with it, but. Um, and what are you yeah, I mean,
0: from, Sorry, no, go ahead, finish your talk. Oh no no go ahead. Um, what are you focused on now? Like like like, what's your 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 near term kind of explorations that you're doing on, on the iOS and KMP kind of um, intersection?
1: Well, uh, like Kevin said, I've been working on the um, I've been working on the debugging plugin recently. Now I'm actually uh, kind of poking around in Kotlin Native to see if there are ways that we can't uh, improve the sort of user experience um for ios devs, maybe like um see if what we can do with the header the uh, objective c headers that um might help ios devs learn a little bit uh easier just make it a little more readable and elegant
0: okay great thanks thanks a lot ben for that, that super helpful um all right i've got some questions here um again if anyone has a question drop it in if not um we'll just kind of uh, go through some of these questions that we already received um, from, from the folks that have registered for, for the kit. Um, this is kind of a fun one, um, and it's not something that we always see, but um, what's the approach like for um, adding Android support for an existing iOS um, application? How would that process look different if, if they're looking to kind of, right now there's a, only an iOS app and they wanna expand to Android and use KMP for it. What are, what are some of the approaches that we think w- would work well there? Um,
2: yeah, it, it is an interesting use case. Uh, i be interested to see how much that happens out in the wild. But um, I, one of the interesting parts about KMP is, is that it's really like cross-platform, only on um, the iOS side. The Android side is Kotlin. Kotlin is the preferred language for Android. So, um, Part of sharing code is not writing it more than once, but the other part of sharing code is not having to maintain two separate pieces of code and, and work them over time. So first establishing the value of trying to do this is, um, if you can consolidate your code bases, uh, that will be valuable from a maintenance perspective in the long term. Um, you are likely, if you're going to implement Android, from an existing iOS app, uh, you're going to have to write that code in Kotlin. You're going to have to do this for it. So um, doing that in a way that allows you to then like, surgically remove that piece that you've added from the iOS code and share that code, accomplishes that goal uh, of reducing the cost of, of maintenance over time, right? Uh, now the, how would you go about it? And it's kind of a similar way to how you would go about trying to share code in existing code bases anyway, which is don't try to take the whole thing at once. And that is one of the big benefits of this type of code sharing is that you you don't have to do all of it. It's optional. So take um, a module, take something that you really want to port over first and um, try that out just to, to see how that, process works to put that, see how calling back into that from your iOS code works. Uh, we tell people you know databases is something like I haven't met too many iOS engineers who are super excited about core data. Some exist, sure. Um, start with a database module, uh, perhaps you know a business logic module obviously and you can along with sharing the code you can share the tests which is uh, also useful. And uh, we talked to people starting with things like Analytics is something that, uh, as a developer, you don't get a lot of um, return, joy, return on the uh, the output of it because it's not for you. It's Somebody else gets to see the thing, but you got to get it exactly right, or the data is not very useful. So people are using it for that kind of thing anyway. Pick a module to start with, see how that works, and you know, kind of expand from there. And you, depending on the size of your teams, depending on the size of your apps, uh, you can more or less share everything up to the UI or just parts, depends what you want to do. And that goes to advice, of like general advice of how to do co-chairing. It's like, it doesn't have to be everything, as opposed to adopting some of the technologies that are in the cross-platform space, which we don't really consider A&P cross-platform,
0: but that's a different discussion. I don't know, anything to add to that, Ben? Or you don't have to? Um, I mean,
1: that was sort of a, yeah, more in-depth look than what I was, Thinking of what I kind of just thought was yeah, uh, KG's right. Like if you're starting with iOS, you're going whatever it is that you want to share, you'll have to write that in Kotlin, right? Um, then you've got a good start. You've got presumably some business logic for your Android side, right? Like you, that's a foot in the door. Uh, so you're sort of already on your way.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, it's it's a great use case and and something that we're going to keep track of to see if that comes up more because that's that's one of the questions that we have. Um, I have two questions now to kind of wrap up that are more about the future of KMP. Uh, The first one we got from the audience that reads, um, uh, thank you for submitting it, um, Zoha 131. Um, KMP now supports Objective-C. Is there any plan to support SWIFT directly?
2: Um, We should differentiate plan versus timeline. (laughs) And there's definitely a plan. Um, it It has come up in discussions, it's definitely on the radar. Um, but I would, there's no, I'm sure there's no timeline and that that is, I don't even need to ask Jeff I'm sure that they don't have a time, right? Um, I will throw out that we need to keep in mind and one of the biggest things that I, I, I address it early on, you know, I I know that we're sort of, um, you know, people that want to stay in sales mode or try to avoid, um, the, the problems, but like, I feel like Developer folks, we want to know problems first. Colin isn't Swift. And for all their visual similarities, there are definitely differences. So um, there are things that Direct Swift Interop will improve, uh, but it will not change that. Like you won't get value types, you, you won't automatically get enums and associated values, you won't get all the same things. There are Kotlin equivalents to these structures, but I think we're going to have to build um, sort of uh, nuance, the expression bridges for us that are going to be um, sort of outside the context of, of just direct sort of in interrupt That's a much longer discussion. But yes, it's going to be available at some point, but we have to be realistic about what that's going to solve versus uh, other approaches, which are going to be more prominent as compiler plugins, uh, mature
0: which is coming in one forward and that kind of stuff. So, big topic. Um, and, and then the last question on a kind of similar um, overall topic, uh, there, there's been some big news recently around the updates to the Kotlin native um, memory management model, um, model, right? Where do we think that's going? Um, and, and, and what were your reactions kind of to that initially, Kevin? And I know you were to post about it, but for the folks on here that maybe haven't read it, just kind of give us your overview on that
2: uh surprise stages of grief kind of um and not so like if you've been if you've been at all following what you know kind of what we've been doing um I, i've been talking about the concurrency and uh the, the state model and sort of explaining that to people over the series of several conference talks and blog posts over the last couple of years right um i liked the intent of what they were attempting to do with it which was to have safer the currency. And um, I didn't really find the model to be that confusing once you understood it. However, flip side is uh, if I have to spend a couple years explaining it to people, perhaps it's not that simple. And I think finally that argument has has won out internally. So um, I think whatever is going to improve adoption is a good thing. I also would point out that if you read about what they're doing, it's not like it's just going away. Um, they are exploring ways to uh, align still some safer concurrency and maybe more types language level stuff, um, but have it be standard across the JVM and the rest of the, the targets. Because frankly, it is confusing. You do something in the JVM and you run it for native. They don't run the same. Um, it's, it's not the most obvious thing in the world. I, I do think it's good for adoption. It is going to be, there's I didn't, there's no timeline, Roman gave no timeline in that blog post. And people should be aware, um, it is not coming like a little later this year. It is a long time window. So if you plan on uh, getting started with KMP and you're just going to wait a couple months, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to be a while. Um, I would say that what we're gonna focus on with our explanations, uh, I'm gonna stop explaining it in detail. And I think we're gonna start focusing on how to do specific things inside your apps such that um, you know you don't have to change anything when this new model arrives. It shouldn't really impact you in any significant way. And that's the thing I think people have to keep in mind. Like, You, know, you can code today uh, as long as you follow good best practices of immutability in general, like you shouldn't be mutating your data along streams and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're careful about that and you understand um, how to architect stuff, you don't make it too complicated. yes, uh, You're probably not gonna have to change anything when this, this change comes. Um, but if you're gonna wanna do anything in the next, say year, uh, you're definitely gonna still be in this original model. So long-term, good. Short-term, adjustments.
0: Perfect. All right. Um, so we're, we're out of time. Um, but the last thing that I want to kind of remind everyone is, um, as I said, we'll be sending this out shortly. Um, and it doesn't stop here, right? This is going to be an evolving document. And after you've had time to digest it, um, and and kind of go through Ben's tutorial and kind of go through our our thoughts on, on the getting, talking to the iOS developers about this. If there's any questions, uh, we'll be fielding questions in the uh, camp kit support channel. Uh, we link out to that in the pdf so any questions around that are ios specific or just in general please use that channel and definitely use us as a resource um, because we're you know big on community and 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 helping out the community as much as we can Um, so with that um thank you to to ben for for putting this together and walking us through it today um we're we're super excited that this is going to be one of the first pieces that we have and and we'll continue to expand um thanks kevin as well for for everything and kind of answering the questions that we have. Um, And then thanks to the audience for for joining us today Um, and have a great Friday, have a great weekend and um, we'll see you guys on Twitter and Slack um, and in the digital world, please stay safe. Um, Thanks again, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that recording. If there were any mentions of slides or video recordings in this particular episode, you'll be able to find links to those resources in the description for this podcast episode. As always, thanks for listening to Touchlab Share, and please remember to subscribe.